Hey there, and welcome to episode 13 of the Better With Running podcast. As always, I'd like to welcome my co-host and newly acquainted Strava King, Zaka Newman, to the show. Welcome, Zaka. You've had a bit of a uh, uh, busy week getting behind the mic and having an in-depth discussion um, with Australian representative and Runs BB coach, Josh Harris. Thanks, Matty. Yeah, great to be back. I have uh, had a long chat with, uh, with Josh O, and um, we're going to split that into two parts. So you'll hear part one on the the back of this episode but yeah i'm going well mate and you're how are you traveling running much yeah i have um had a bit of a bit of a niggle last week and um yeah my um quad or uh, um i saw i saw um the physio dane verway at run culture and he diagnosed some swelling um in one of my uh, bursts up above my knee and so I had to get sort of take a couple of days off and then gradually work back into it. And yeah, it's been uh it's been fine since. So managed to tick over 129 Ks last week and get a couple of good sessions in and a nice long run yesterday. So I was yeah, yeah, been um progressed well from that little hiccup. But uh yeah, what about yourself? You've uploaded um all your uh runs onto Strava, I see for the last week. Yeah, um, that's, is it the, just on that injury, um, is that something that's happened before with you? Or like, is this a reoccurring injury or is it something that's new? Nah, it's something new, but I think uh, I, um, I think it's related to when I, I crashed my bike about eight years ago, I think it was, and, yeah, wow. and smashed my knee into a tree. And, and I've got a bit of a, a loose body of cartilage floating around in my knee. And, and uh, I think it aggravated maybe some of the uh the bursts are there maybe just because it moves around randomly I used to be able to sort of poke it and move it um haven't had it's, it's now sort of hidden under my knee now but yeah i think i must have just um yeah aggravated it in some way and it's mm. um yeah caused that swelling and yeah i just needed to to reduce the swelling get on some anti inflams and yeah i'm hoping it doesn't come back again it was a bit of a pain really but um yeah, yeah it's always those, those things sort of pop pop back up from out of nowhere or things that just yeah mm. they've been sort of lingering in the background i know i've got a few yep. few things that i've just got to stay on top of and and like you mentioned i'm back starting to run some decent k's and um i guess yeah i you, you didn't mention um jumped on strava and started to upload every run i guess because we decided to yeah i guess myself uh you brady and and you have um we're doing mm. something just a small bit to donate to to a charity around, um, you know, that Aboriginal deaths in custody. So I think it's a good, um, good way to sort of raise awareness. So we just, we hit, I think we hit nearly 300 Ks last week between us or do the yeah. numbers. I know we got 103 out, you did 129 and Brady, he was always going to hold us up <laughs> for this, for the next few weeks. And uh, he fulfilled his weight with about 160. Yep. So yeah, we got well, nearly 400 then. Yeah, so we have 400. So, yeah, we, we're, we're tracking well. We've got another week ahead. So, yeah, I'm just putting everything... For me, I guess I've always just run a lot by feel. And I yep. like putting... I like hitting the, the watch when I do sessions. But I don't generally... I know my loops and I run with a lot of people. So, if we go for an hour run, I just go for an hour and let other people take the pace. So, I... Yeah, not really usually fixated on putting K's and Strava and yeah, it's a bit of a new world for me. <laughs> well, were you just looking for some more kudos? 
Yeah, no, no, I don't think the kudos is. It doesn't seem to motivate me too much, but it's um, yeah, it's definitely different. I, I really do because I try to not put any pressure on easy runs. Like I don't really care what pace they come out as. Like, and I did one during the week, and I always think I kind of know a roundabout pace I do, but I did sort of had an idea and then looked at my watch halfway through the run and I didn't realise I was running like four tens and I was like, oh, I must have felt good that day because most guys are running like four fifties, four forties. So it's, it is strange having the watch all the time. Do you notice a difference if you do that? Like running like that, like 40 seconds, okay, slower the next no, day or anything? No, I think I'm just in tune with like my body or people that are around me so I tend generally just try to <laughs> suck off the back of other people and let them do the work but like I don't know I just I feel like I can switch off on those easy runs and just let them come out as is uh, I don't know if you're you're in the same boat or do you do you sort of know a loop and look at the watch and pace that you're going to go after um I used to do a lot more than I do now uh I've kind of realized that my body doesn't um particularly enjoy um yeah constantly clock watching and making sure i'm trying to hit a certain pace i sort of just get get more of the feel um and yeah i'm happy now like if i run a, a um an easy run i'm averaging five minute k's or something that's um, when i'd normally you know be looking at four fifteens to four twenty fives or something like that then that's just what I needed for the day. And like seeing that as a, as a purpose for that run would have been just to make sure I recover um, so that the next day I feel better. Yeah, so I guess that's the way I go about it. Yeah, I think it links in really well with um, the blog that went out from Sammy McLean, one of the coaches who spoke about, the blog was titled How to Become a Mentally Stronger Runner. And we'll, we'll throw the links um, in the show notes. But he touched on a lot about running to feel and flow and I think that's an element I mean that's one of the takeaways I took and can link it back to Strava and clock watching and all the rest of it I think yeah there was there was so many good takeaways in there and you had a look at the blog as well Matt yeah yeah I felt like I really could relate to what Sammy was talking about there where on some days whether it's a race or a hard training session and some of those days it pretty sure your physical fitness is exactly the same but for some reason or another, just on the day, it just doesn't tick and, and you might struggle one day, but the other day, you're, you know, you're flying along and you're sort of in that flow kind of state. Um, and one of the things, I guess, that I use with my athletes and, and I've sort of um, done it myself is trying to accept it. Uh, and this is what Sammy sort of talks about, is accepting that it is going to be a bit of discomfort there um, and, and that that's a normal thing to happen in a race. Like you're working hard so that... You know, it's not, not all going to be, um, you know, easy, smooth sailing. You're going to be in a bit of hurt at some points and um, means that in, that in that moment, if you can accept that it is going to be a bit of discomfort, if you can accept it even before you go into the race, then it's much easier to deal with. Um, and I've practiced that myself and I've tried to practice it in training and, and find that really works well. Um, and another thing I, I try to have when, I, when that um, discomfort kicks in, I try to have a bit of fun with it and break it down into chunks and start trying to take my mind a little bit away from it, but break it down into manageable ways. Of, and I start asking myself questions like, 
what color would I think the pain would be um, if it had a color and if it had a shape, what sort of shape would it make? And if it had a name, what sort of name would it make? And yeah, it kind of feel like I can break it down a bit more and takes my mind away from it. So yeah, there are a couple of things that I'll do myself and I've spoken to some of my athletes about who have asked sort of some sort of techniques that I've used um, in my training and racing. Yeah, no, that's interesting you, you know that because I always think um, I haven't done those questions, but I have done, I've been in races where you're in a pack and you're seeing the back of someone singlet the whole, for, for like three to five K, even longer and in marathons, you're seeing a group, you're in the same pack for a long time and you might have a word on the back of their singlet and I've, I've even just to disassociate myself from the pain or the situation, I mm. might just sort of like play some word play with it or like just ran the things you think of are random when you're running sometimes and you're trying to still stay dialed in and in the zone. But yeah, some couple of things like that. I've, I've trialed, trialed it over the journey and um, it's kind of felt for me, it's been a good way to, yeah, I guess to focus in on something else as well. And, and like you mentioned, yeah, like that accepting that, yeah, it's going to hurt or there is pain that's coming and being aware that it's coming and dealing with it on the spot. And yeah, just sort of going rolling with the punches sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yep. And off the back of that, like we all had a chat run to PB as coaches and thought, look, this is a good opportunity to even take this a bit further and get some of our coaches onto a live stream and, and have a bit of a chat. So we, um, we queued up a few. We've got uh, Madeline Heiner, who's uh, obviously an Olympian over the 5K and the steeple at Rio. We've got a world champs representative and this week's guest, Josh Harris, uh, one of the best Australian trail and ultra runners in Steph Austin. And we brought on one of our own um, athletes who I coach, Stu McClay, who was, he was featured on earlier episodes. And I thought it's a good mix of people to bring on. We're going to do a live stream and some, some Q&A. So you'll be able to jump on our Facebook and YouTube channels. And yeah, watch along, ask some questions. So yeah, I'm I'm excited for that one. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I've already got some uh, some feedback from some people that are really keen on, on listening in, and, and some of the, the wisdom wisdom I'm sure that will be uh, that will be shared amongst the um, amongst the coaches and, and, and Stu as well. Um, and speaking of wisdom, you've uh, recently caught up with Josh Harris um coming back from a from a big injury and what did you guys uh what did you guys chat about and i hope you mentioned uh him running for the franks and bale pigs yeah it's funny you say that it did come up and he he brought back a few memories of coming over to victoria and running the xcr but yeah josh had a great chat with josh it went for a while so we cut it into two episodes because there's a lot a lot with his running journey he's been in the sport for 20 plus years uh, he's a real student of the sport. He's got an exercise science degree. He's also a teacher, but he's got that. He was also a real pioneer in marathon running for, you know, the, the last few years, he was the guy who started doing some things that were probably a little bit out of the norm from this traditional Australian marathon buildups. And yeah, they he probably copped a little bit of flack or not so much flack, but uh, people were questioning if it was ever going to come off because he had a few attempts at getting to getting to down under that 220 mark and he ultimately did. But yeah, it was a, it was a really interesting journey. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. So uh, yeah, let's, 
let's cross to it. This week on the Better With Running podcast, we've got Josh Harris. Josh just recently joined the coaching team at run to bb And for those listeners who haven't had a chance to read Josh's profile, here it is as we're going to dig in a bit deeper into some of the highlights and lowlights over the course of this interview. Josh is an Australian representative marathoner with over 20 years of running experience. He's living proof that with consistent training, you can reach a level you never thought was possible. Started his running journey back in 2000 after being inspired by the Sydney Olympics. And now he's still running the same roads of Tassie 20 years later. His, pro- his progression through training just gradually worked his way through the ranks. And as Josh first gained Australian selection in 2012 and again in 2015 at the World University Games. But it was a step up to the marathon in 2015 where he had his biggest success. Josh's marathon journey saw him break the Australian record on the track over 30 kilometres. He then qualified for the 2017 World Championships, representing Australia after running a PB in Japan, running 2.17 over the marathon. Unfortunately, during the 2017 World Championships, campaign he had suffered a broken ankle causing a major setback to his running career he could not run over a year and in just starting to get close to his pbs josh not only has years of running experience but a university degree in exercise science and teaching to add to his knowledge on top of this josh developed additional sporting experience during his injury setback he moved across to road cycling where he had raced at an international level in 2019. With this broad skill set, he's able to give many levels of guidance to athletes depending on their needs and interests. Welcome to the show, Josh Harris. Yeah, thanks for having me, mate. Yeah, excited to have a chat with you, mate. There's a lot to unpack. Yeah, looking looking forward to it. And you got out for a, a trundle today down in Tassie? Yeah, I went out for a session this morning, a uh, couple of 12-minute efforts, one one on a pretty big climb and then one back on the flat. So, um, yeah, it was a really good session and felt good. Yeah, it must be satisfying to be back out there again and, and we'll, we'll, we'll work through what's happened in your career of late and um, obviously in the intro I touched on your 20 years of, 20 plus years of running and there is so many stories in there, um, you know, to really go through we won't go through every single pv but because you've got a long list and i'll work through it um starting at your 800 you've won 154.82 in launceston in tassie your hometown um yep. 1500 351.22 back in lonnie as well 3k 814 in brisbane that was in 2015 5k 1417 at hobart Probably a Briggs meet, maybe. Yes. Yep. Um, 10,000 metres, 29.42 in December of 2016. I'm going to guess that's a Zatapec. A very windy Zatapec, yes. Yeah. Uh, an interesting one that not many people have on their resume is a 30,000 metres in one hour 36. And this was on the track, an Australian record. 
in Hobart in July yes. 2016. Yeah. Uh, 2,000-metre steeple, 5.59 back in 07. 3K steeple, 9.04 at Albert Park. 10K on the road, 29.47 in Launceston. So uh, Lonnie 10. Gold Coast half uh, sorry half marathon uh, 64.55 in the Gold Coast half marathon and your marathon the 217.08 in Otsu Japan which is where Lake Biwa is held that was in uh, 2017 so yeah huge long list a uh, very credentialed runner we got um, on with us um, Josh great though like just what's looking at that list what do you personally rate as the most satisfying in there and why? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think they all match up reasonably similar in terms of, um, you know, my ability. There are a couple in there that I think I could take it, take a bit off, but, um, one, one that's a surprising one that I'm actually really satisfied with. And, and when I did it, I thought I'm never going to beat this, um, is the 800. So the, the one fifty four. um, I went through the first 457, which, Often I'd feel quite lactic in the legs off that, but um, went through in 57, ran another 57, and um, couldn't believe it when I saw 154. Um, so that's that's probably the one that you know I knew at the time was probably as, as good as I've got. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm fairly satisfied with uh, you know with the marathon and what I got out of running that time, as well as um, you know breaking the Australian record for the 30k while the the time isn't necessarily, uh, you know, world beating. Having an Australian record's a pretty cool thing to have next to my name. Yeah, absolutely. And back on that eight, did you win the race, or was it a? How, how did you fare in it? Um, I didn't win the race. I think I got second from memory, uh, but I did beat some some pretty cred- credentialed guys that were like one fifty one, one fifty two guys uh, from memory. Mm. So back then, were you, so this is 2010, uh, and then look in 2013, you ran 351. Were you always thinking you'd be maybe a 3K, 5K guy, potentially 10, or was the marathon in your sights um, even at that age? Yeah, it's a a good question. I I started off running little athletics and that kind of thing, and all the jumps in distance were kind of very gradual uh, as I went through the ranks. So I um. I spent most of my junior years thinking that steeplechase was probably um, where my future was going to lie. And, you know, as I became like adult kind of age, that's when I started to run a bit more mileage and started to see some success on the road uh, in, you know, like some 10Kers, a couple of local like 15K type, type events. And that's, you know, about that time, 2008 to 2010, I could... I could see a bit of a future, uh, perhaps in in the longer events. Um, I, I still, you know, on the track, I I still love the five, the ten k, that kind of thing. So I I did a lot of those, but you know, I didn't necessarily, um, you know, knuckle down to one distance until um, pretty late on in the piece, where I saw a bit of an opportunity uh, at the marathon, where I thought that I might be able to uh, break into a, an Australian team. Yeah, well, and you did in the end, but um, we will um, we'll touch on that a bit later. I'm just um, looking at the locations of those PBs. Like you, you've racked up a few frequent flies there. You've gone Sydney. I mean, I'm just yeah, there's one in Sydney, Gold Coast, 
uh, Otsu Japan, Brisbane, Albert Park, like, you know, you're a real journeyman around um, the circuit of athletics. And I guess so many events you've been to, is there a favourite event, like, you know, event, maybe let's talk about track, track-wise. Uh, I know there's some Briggs in there and Zatapec. What, where would your favourite one be? Um, it's a good question. On the track, uh, I always love the the Briggs meet in Hobart and um, getting to, to run that every year. I, I think I ran uh, 5K PBs there like seven years in a row at one point. Mm. Um, and then, um, but, you know, I also love travelling to wherever the national meets were um, that I could kind of get into. And, you know, when, when things lined up, I usually ran pretty well. Yeah, that Briggs meet was, um, yeah, it, it always came off the back of a lot of people in a, um, a pretty heavy block of training, um, you know, up falls and come down off, off, off altitude and come out and, um, and, and whack a good race. Yeah, for sure. And I, you know, I went to Falls Creek every year over Christmas for, um, you know, five or six years there. And I'd always come back and, and get into some pretty good shape and just try and find as many many races as I could around that time and I know there were there was a year there where within the space of a month I ran a 1500 pb a 3k pb and a 10k pb and all that kind of thing and on the road like you know Tassie's got a great road running circuit uh you the Bernie's Bernie Tanya Lonnie and Cabri uh, marathon so like yeah some of the road races obviously in, in your hometown but then you've you've been able to go up the Gold Coast and um and race there have you got a favorite road race yeah you summed it up uh pretty well there mate like i i just love the fact that we could be at home and have so many elite guys come down to race the lonnie 10 the um you know the run the bridge 10 and all that kind of thing so locally you know i always love running those events uh in terms of Australia-wide, the Gold Coast half was always my favourite. Um, every time I ran that, I, I think I ran a PB or, you know, won a medal in a, in a Nationals or, you know, something like that. And um, the weather was always perfect for running a half marathon at that time of day. And so I had some, some great times at the Gold Coast. Uh, and then um, in terms of marathon running, I don't think you can go past Japan personally. Um, it's, it's really good for an Aussie uh, time zone wise and as well as that uh, it's just conditions wise are usually pretty good as well uh, you don't have to adjust too much regardless of whether you're coming from Australian summer or Australian winter I, I found you know and I think yeah spot on I think even in these times of um, reduced races or no races and isolation and it's um yeah it's been a I know personally reflecting on a lot of the races and the weekends you get to go away when you do road races it's um yeah we do miss them and i'm sure they're they're starting to filter back in and it'll be great and we can all you know i think you know this time last year or coming up we would have all been up in the gold coast and um yeah gearing ourselves up for another crack at um you know that weekend up there and yeah so look and and even um i was just thinking back to your days over when you come across to victoria and running the xcr circuit so you were um, yeah, oh, yeah. Victoria, mate. Such a great, it's such a great scene that cross country. I um, I loved those couple of years that I ran for Frankston, and um, it was just such so good to get the depth of competition. Um, you know, because you guys, you guys do it best, and you know, we don't have those 
opportunities in Tassie. So yeah, those kind of experiences are something that you know I enjoyed, and there was a real team atmosphere there. Yeah, it was, and yeah, you touched on that depth there, and the chance to kind of mix it up with with some of the best runners in Australia in those meets and those races. So um, yeah, it was always fun having you over, and um, yeah, even if you were in the Frankston singlet. <laughs> Don't hold that against me. <laughs> hey mate, um, some of your highlights, and um, I'm just gonna go through them because you know in the intro we mentioned you've been a, been an Australian senior rep at the World Champs, but also World Uni Games twice. Um, one that you know, I guess you know, I go through this list. You got the World Championship representative. Um, your your World Uni half. You ran. You came nineteenth there, so top twenty. Whereabouts was that? Uh, that was in um, Gwangju in South Korea. Okay. Yeah, so, well, hot. Yeah, I, I've seen a few photos. It looked like you were um, sweating up a storm. Yep. <laughs> and then, um, and even going back to 2012, you ran in the World University Cross Country, which is a tough race, um, 42nd there. Yeah, so that was my first, um, you know, kind of Australian representation and although I've never seen myself as a, a particularly great cross-country runner um, you know being at the university level um, you know the depth wasn't quite as strong to make that team so I was I was stoked to get that opportunity and I, I loved that event and I think you know a mid-pack finish in that was due to a pretty smart and controlled race where I come through the field late and um, yeah eventually got to the level where I could you know make that world university team in the half marathon which i was again run through the field late and beat my ranking by quite a bit um so and then from there it was yeah onto the marathon mm, so you're learning you were learning what it was like to get into these these races and um yeah feeling out what to do early on and even the travel and getting over there and preparing yourself for for overseas races and that ultimately led to you um, nailing that one in Biwa. Hey, um, the, the pool room must be getting pretty pretty packed in there, mate. You got an Oceana medalist in 2014-2016 over the half. Australian medalist yep. over 3K half and marathon. You got the you probably got some kind of plaque or a certificate for the Australian record for 30,000 metres. But the other one, there must be a separate room for this one, 30-time Tasmanian champion. Is that right? 1,500 through the marathon I've got. Yeah, so um, since I've been in the open age groups, I've won 30 Tassie titles. Um, I think there were nine of them in a row were over the 5K and um, I got struck down before I could go for the 10th. There are about about six over the 10K in there, I think. So that's um, <laughs> that's probably half of them. I uh, uh, on, on the other side of things, I won the marathon once. I won the fifteen hundred once, um, and that was enough for me. And then um, I think there was another one of my first ones. Actually, was um, when I was quite a quite a youthful young boy. When I was about <laughs> seventeen, I um, jumped about thirteen meters in the triple jump. So yeah, that's wow. <laughs> um, that's one that people don't really know about, but um, one that I'm pretty happy with. Yeah. Well. Okay. So, and you didn't didn't want to pursue the triple jumping. No, um, you know, th like just shy 13 metres while it was okay. It certainly, um, you know, if I went on the mainland to try and do a triple jumper, I would have got shown up very quickly. What do you reckon you could go for a triple jump right now? 
Oh, jeez, I'd probably, I'd probably break my foot, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, mate, I can't. I've struggled to get out of bed, so I don't know how, how I'd go try and do a triple jump. But um, yeah, um, yeah. So look, it's you know, there's a, there's a real big rap sheet there, but we'll we'll dig in a bit further through the course about some of those those highlights. But just on that Tassie, the, I mean, there's a real culture of running. We talked about the road races that, like, where's it? come from I mean, there were some greats of yesteryear your kim gillard your dave chettle and now it feels like there's been in, of late in the last few years you've kind of built that culture down there with your you guys like dev um you know patty smith jordan tyler james hansen who's now in melbourne uh, brian lyons doing great things down there dijon um gabriel assassi uh, dougie hammerlock bert whistle was there for a while jake bert whistle like you've got a cool crew down there but how much how much work has it taken to build that culture yeah we've um we've certainly um done well for our size over the years and um i think it i think culture breeds success in a way and um you know before i started um there weren't many in launceston that were running particularly well you know in hobart you had your grant page um kind of starting to dominate um, but in Launceston it kind of took a while for us to really um, start to shine as probably the, the dominant area in Tassie and you know I like to think that um, you know people saw people such as myself kind of pioneering in a way running running big mileage and kind of showing what you need to do to be a successful distance athlete and um, I think things probably started to grow from there when you see um, you know, someone running big Ks, then it kind of becomes the norm to at least, um, you know, do a bit of of that. And, um, you know, over the years, I've trained with a lot of the guys that, that you mentioned. And as well as that, we've just had lots of guys that have, um, you know, moved on. People, you know, like you mentioned, Jake Burtwistle. Um, I know another one from Tassie, Kale Adams, that's yeah. over in the States. We've... Um, and now we've got guys like Sam Clifford who, uh, you know, he's going to be the next best thing um, and such a talent. So, um, yeah, it's it's a great place to train. The The weather's pretty nice all year round. It's um, You don't have to drive very far and you've got a, you know, a perfect run regardless of if you want flat hills, um, fast, easy running, all that kind of thing. So, um, you know, I've loved living in Tassie and, you know, I, for me, it's been perfect, um, perfect hunting ground for, for training over the years. And you start, have you, you know, you, the group you've got, the, the kids coming through the ranks as well. Like, are you getting people asking you and, you know, maybe contacting you through social media or, um, you know, just wanting to know about how you've done it over the years and sort of having falling into that mentor role? Um, maybe not as much as, as you'd think. Um, you know, I've got my crew of, of mates that I train with pretty regularly, like Dougie Hammerlock and Jordan Tyler and and that kind of thing. But then, you know, we, we all respect each other and we know that, um, you know, young Sam Clifford's out there getting into his work. And I think in these days with things like Strava and all the social media and stuff, like you're never too far away from, from knowing what people are doing, even if you're not kind of analysing it or, ask, or asking about it. Um, you know, people can still see that the work that you're putting in and, um, you know, it kind of, yeah, I think it helps to, to breed that work ethic and, and that kind of thing. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking back, like you you mentioned as a junior, you went to a little athletic. So how about you? Did you have role models back then? And how did they, did they inspire you to keep going? Or was it a bit of a just you, you got into it, kept going? Yeah, so I um, before I started little athletics, I just loved, I think there must have been a school race or something somewhere that I had some success in. And I just love like running laps around my backyard and timing myself and all that kind of thing without even realizing how keen I was. So um, when I started Little Athletics, the first race I ever did, I just instantly was was in love with the sport and mm. kind of went from there with a lot of um, kind of internal motivation. Uh, I picked up a coach when I was about 14. So Andrew Willis was his name and he um, he guided me through um, all the next 10 years really um, so he was a he was a massive role model for me and more than anything probably just um, instilled some of those values like dedication commitment and and that kind of thing into me um, and then the role there um, you know I loved the sport the whole way through and I was you know learning more and more and went on to do exercise science degrees and, and things like that so Andrew's role um, kind of gradually shifted from someone um, that was in control of everything to, to more of like a guidance and mentor role as I developed those skills myself. Um, and then, yeah, so he passed away three or four years ago, unfortunately, but I certainly um, credit a lot of the values that I, that I have today um, down to him and, and the times we had together. Yeah. I'm sure you'd be proud um, seeing what you've achieved now, looking back at your career and as it continues to, to still grow. Hey, um, I mean, you did make some teams as a junior and you, you, you ran, um, as I mentioned earlier, with PBs and going into state and, and doing some of the, um, the athletics meets. But you, know, you ended up running 351 and your steeple was nine minutes 04. But I guess in the end, it ended, you ended up having your greatest success in the marathon. Uh, are you, I want to just talk about that evolution of Josh Harris, the, the marathoner. Um, I mean, actually back on that, the 10K, like you, your track one, did you feel that was the right time to sort of, could you have pursued that anymore? Or was it just because you were in the midst of a marathon block that you, you still have your eyes on the prize for the marathon? Yeah, I, I look at both my 5 and 10K PBs and think that um, I'm closer to like 14 flat, 29 flat, kind of guy um I certainly think that if that was my focus in in some of those years that that I should be somewhere kind of closer to that however um I remember in 2013 uh looking at some of the marathon times and and at that stage Australia were not really sending anyone to some of the some of the teams and I just you know I've always been someone to realistically look at um you know, my ability, but then also some opportunities that might present. And, you know, while I, I certainly think I can run quite a decent 10K, I thought, geez, if I give this everything, then who knows? One day I may end up um, on a big Australian team at the Olympics, Worlds or Commonwealth Games for the marathon. So mm. I remember I was in, you know, I, I debuted in 2013, not particularly successfully, but I learnt a lot. And um, I actually remember when the Beijing World Champs was on in 2015, I was on a long run in Ballarat and um, 
you know, no one from Australia decided to go to Beijing. And I thought, look, I want to be on this next team. All I need to do is run under 217, which I believe, you know, with the right training and if things come together, I'm capable of that. And um, I didn't think it was going to come so soon. I thought I might be making a team, you know, somewhere around now. But um, things progressed and my training progressed and I managed to sneak on on a world champs team to, you know, a pretty sought after location in London. And um, yeah, I look back at that and I'm very happy with what I've achieved. Yeah, and, and so she should be. I mean, look at that, that marathon career as, as it's still still not unfinished business there. But you've got so you've got ten marathons. I've I've located in my research and I might not be spot on, but I've got you down for ten marathons, nine finishes and one DNF, which we'll go into because that's um that's a big big um big part in your career and I guess a bit of a turning point, but also something we've got to go into. The like you said, 2013, you debuted in Sydney. It was you were 23, so you're pretty young for a marathon debut. You came yeah. 11th, wasn't? I mean, it wasn't a train wreck. 231, that you like you touched on. You learn a lot, and I guess that was a catalyst to move into that 2014 to 2016, and that's where you really laid the groundwork. And there was a lot of lot of talk about your training philosophy, your marathon philosophy. Um, and what you were doing on Strava, this was, you know, we're talking three, four years ago where Strava was as, as hugely as popular as it is now. And people were seeing what you were doing and uh, no doubt you had a big following. I guess, yeah, you were almost going rogue on the system of what Australian running was traditionally, I guess Australian running traditional mar- marathon training was based upon. Yeah. Um, so I pretty much trained the traditional Australian way for that 2013 build up. And, um, you know, there were, there were some great runs in there and, you know, I think I could have ran a really good five or 10 K at, at some point throughout that. But I just, I look back and I just didn't see enough specificity, um, in it. I, I don't think I did enough uh, time at, at marathon pace. And that's something that I took forward into, into those future programs. and. Um, yeah, I think, you know, if you look at where Australian marathon running is now and, um, you know, not necessarily that the real top end 210 guys, but the the depth of guys that can run under 220 and that kind of thing, uh, I think there's been a big shift to, to that kind of training that I um, was starting to do in, you know, 2014, 15. And I'd like to, yeah, I, I certainly think it works for me and I know other people that have found success with it as well, um, for sure. And, you know, I, I loved being on Strava at the time and kind of getting a bit of a, a following and, um, yeah, it was a pretty pretty cool time, that's for sure. Yeah, and I think you're right. I mean, people started to open their eyes to maybe there is a different way and there's so many ways to skin a cat as we're talking running about training that I think a lot of people didn't want to take the risk and they saw what you were doing and you were sometimes you know for a little while there because you had a few cracks to get it right um there was a lot of people watching you on Strava and going well yep this guy's a hero on Strava but he's still running 220 you know 224s 220s like he hasn't really broken through um that obviously changed when you went to BYU and, and absolutely knocked it out of the park um 
But there was a famous Strava session that was going around and it was titled The Hour of Power. Do you want to take us through that one? Yeah, I, um, I think I actually read about it in like a really scientific academic um, research article, to be honest. Um, and I thought, oh, I like, the look of, I like the look of this. I might give it a go. And it was, um, it was an hour worth of uh, one minute reps, so 40 reps um, with a 30 second float between. And um, yeah, I I often found that for that session, I'd like to hold half marathon pace for the for the one minute reps. Um, you know, so forty minutes total at half marathon pace within an hour is pretty pretty solid work. And then you just relax it a little bit down to kind of more like marathon pace for thirty seconds. And um, yeah, just a bit of that um, over under threshold type work. That um, there are many ways you can you can go about it, but um, yeah, I really, really enjoyed that that session. And I know 40 reps sounds like a lot, but my mind always kind of, you know, ticked over and really, really um, thrived off that kind of that kind of workout. So you, that was a, it's a tough session on paper. So you getting out doing that on a loop course? Yeah, I um, I ran a lot of my sessions uh, through that period of time on a loop around the uni. Is that the session. uni loop? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um. So yeah, the uni loops just short of a mile, uh, mile long, and I used to just hone in at marathon pace or you know those kind of sessions and just lock into a rhythm and and off I went. And um, people probably called me the the king of the uni loop. And recently, some some fella went and took my Strava oh, wow. um, record round there. So um, on a bike or legitimately? No, no, he's. He's a Kiwi guy that's ran about 150 for 800 metres that lives in Launceston now. Um, oh. <laughs> so I'm going to get that back in the next month or so. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> the, yeah, yeah, no, go, go take it down. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I was just sort of that, that, that period at 2014 and 2016, I obviously had thought about, well, there's a chance here. If I can get things going, if this training works, there is an opportunity, you know, whether it's, Rio, which would have been a, a, you know, still would have been on the radar, and then if not, world champs were coming in um, 2017. Um, so yeah, you really, you really went full swing. Um, and I'm looking back at what you did through 2015, and part of that build up, you had the Melbourne Marathon as a workout where you went in, uh, helped Jess Trengrove or Dash Stenson now to as a pacing gig as part of a training session, which is still. You went all the way. You went 42k, um, and you had some decent company with you. Just a, just a, you know, an average runner by the name of Craig Mottram to keep you company for the for the journey, or for at least for I think you went to about 30k, and then you took the range. 37 or 38, I think. Okay, well, <laughs> give him a bit more credit. <laughs> but yeah, that must have been a cool experience. Yeah, that was um, that was great. I um, I messaged. I don't know. I don't know if it was Jess's coach or one of the organisers, I can't remember, um, leading up and just said, look, I'm, I'm coming over to, to get a bit of confidence back with the marathon before I have my first, you know, crack at it properly since 2013. Um, and, you know, I wanted to get a, you know, as I said, a bit of confidence. So I said, you know, I'm going to look to run under 2.30 pretty comfortably. Uh, what's Jess want? And it just worked in really well that um, that Craig and Jess were, running you know i think they were aiming for about 228 and i was like yeah lock me in that'll be that'll be good fun a good way to um you know tick through a marathon pretty comfortably and 
yeah, that was awesome. I really enjoyed every minute of that, and I felt great, and I got that bit of confidence um, before the the Fukuoka Marathon that year. And um, you know, I in the kind of next years after that, I used a couple of marathons as more training runs. Um, so all three of the marathons that I've won are actually kind of what I'd consider more a training workout rather than a race. Um, but, you know, winning marathons is awesome. And, you know, I loved, I love doing that. Yeah. And I think that was part of your unique um, build up is that people weren't going the full distance and or utilizing a marathon as a, as a workout or as a full effort. And you were, you were able to do that, um, practice fluids and go into the, into the well, I guess, to a degree and um, further than you can over the shorter reps and the, the intervals. So that was, yeah, again, a pioneer sort of um, change in the way people were viewing marathon build-ups. And yeah. Those... yeah, sorry, Joe. Oh, I was just going to say, like, as I kind of developed, I, you know, I, I kind of thought to myself, I don't quite need to, to be doing that. I felt as I gained experience, that was less necessary in a way. So um, there were a few times there where, I, you know, I ran that kind of effort so a sub-maximal type effort for a bit shorter than a marathon but um, I think in those early days when I didn't have the k's in the legs that that was certainly um, something that helped me yeah I mean like Fukuoka though that was you you wanted to run under 220 there and it was coming off the back of the the Mel Marathon um, training effort and you went on pretty heavy block tapered when it was first time in Japan yeah that race um because I hadn't got a good time on the board, I got um got really stitched up with oh, the seeding yeah. mm-hmm. process, and so I started right at the back um, on the secondary start line, and I think I ran the first two k in about six ten to yeah, um. I, think I remember seeing something yeah. come up, and it was like, wow, that's, that's yeah, okay, so, yeah, I you know I ran okay, but um I think. I just didn't quite have the legs left in the last eight, nine K um, as I used probably a little bit too much getting in the right group mm. early on. So, you know, I think I ran 220 there, but, you know, I think there was probably a bit more in there. And I think that was my second best marathon. Just I couldn't quite execute it the way that I wanted. Mm. So you came away from that race, obviously a bit disappointed with the way it unfolded with that that set up and how you weren't able to really execute it on the day but it took a little bit of time to reload and get going again for your next one which was in berlin in 2016 oh actually no there's one in between yeah yeah yep i um so after that i was you know i thought okay this this problem's not going to happen to me again and I saw the the time for Rio was two nineteen. I knew I'd have to run quicker to to make the team, but um, I think I expected that Scotty Westcott's two fifteen thirty or I think it was something like that. I thought that that was probably going to be the time to beat. So I went to Rotterdam that next That's year right. and yeah. Um, yeah had a crack had a crack at like two fifteen and I just uh, the wheels fell apart that I peaked too early. In that block, went to False Creek too early, and things just didn't go right for me. And um, yeah, it wasn't a wasn't a great day for me that one. But I um, again learnt a lot, and um, you know, took it took it with me onto the next one. Yeah, so you guess you 
and every marathon you learn something every in every build up and it's it's what's so tough about the marathon is that you only you really get that one shot you can be flying and training and then you go and put it out there and it just doesn't go to plan and you've got to essentially start again and um yep. start building up again which you did and um 2016 berlin searching for that 2019 uh, 219 world championship qualifier well, yeah, you're you over there with Brady Telford. Yep. Um, yeah, Brady and I were there. Yeah, and you, did you guys, I'm trying to think, uh, did you go past him in the end or not? Yeah, so um, I was a little bit ahead of him early on. Mm. Uh, and then he came through from memory with the lead female pack. And um, so we were together for a bit of the race. And then... Um, just start to slow, not much, but enough um, off that 219 pace um, in the second half of the race. And I, um, I think I put a minute or so on, on Brady in the final, final probably quarter of the race. Uh, yeah. yeah, it was another, it was another 220. Um, but yeah, I, and from that one, you know, it, another one that hadn't quite went right. And I think one of the things I did differently after that one was um, was actually my tapering. I um, I started to, well, I experimented with tapering much later than I than I had, and that kind of made sense given you know the amount of training that I could handle. And so um, going forward, I decided I'd try a, a much shorter taper than you know I was sticking with more of a traditional kind of taper and then yeah next race i smashed it because mm. you were one second outside your pb and i mean you ran 220 yeah. 28 but it would have been it's it's disappointing when you know you know you you want that 219 the world championship qualifiers and there's a quote here from um and he was a runner's tribe article and it just says here you've gone uh, it's it's annoying making no progress towards the 219 though as I think there is an opportunity in 2017. That time ranks me fifth so far in 2016 behind Adams, Hunt, Shelley and Milosevic. And who knows if World Championship 2017 is on the agenda for some of them with the uh, with the Gold Coast Com Games in early 2018. So I felt like it was a bit of a missed chance. So you're yeah. probably deflated off the back of that, but still knowing that, well, if there is time to reload uh, and try and get there, it's just you've got to dust yourself off again. Yeah, I um, I remember talking to Brady on a jog. It must have been like five or six days after the race. We were both in Paris, coincidentally. And <laughs> I pretty much, I remember reeling off exactly what races I'm going to do between now and, and Lake Biwar. And um, things pretty much just happened as I told him on that day. And, mm. and it all finally fell into place. Yeah, like how long were you down? Like you, you obviously dust yourself off pretty quickly. Like it's, it's a really weird time after a marathon because you have that a real build up and the adrenaline, and then it's just a, a lot of people go into that post marathon depression stage where they're just like, oh, you know, got to go again, and uh, it just didn't work out. You, you obviously were able to get yourself going with some goals and set some races. Yeah, I always, um, I always respected the marathon recovery um process and looked kind of in a backwards mapping kind of way of how i was going to get to the next one um so what that meant was i had my standard recovery time and and then i looked at some events that i wanted to do and in in late 2016 i thought you know zatapak i'm gonna 
I'm not doing a marathon in December, so I'm going to run Zatapak off maybe six or seven weeks, I think the build-up was for that, which was, um, you know, I knew it was probably enough to get into some good 10K shape, but not not kind of super long. And then from there, I would travel straight to the, the World Beer Mile Champs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I got back from the US, the plan was to just um, jump into an eight-week marathon block and... Um, just really knuckle down on the specificity for the marathon before Lake Biwa. A few listeners will take a double take about where you've, <laughs> where you've dropped in a beer mile as part of your um, your plans to get to the world champs. But um, we'll <laughs> we'll talk about the beer mile a bit later. But um, that's a it's another uh, another another area that you've um, excelled in. But back to Biwa. So you. Um, like I said, March 2017, you were 26. What other Aussies did you go over with? To BYU with? Yeah. Um, a good contingent of Aussies that go over to that race. Yeah, Cole Re- Jack Cole Reeby was, was there. He was the, the yep. main one. Um, and we both, both had the same goal and were both at a similar um, kind of level. So, in a way, it was, you know, me, me versus him. For yeah. a potential spot on the team. Yeah, I mean, usually you got guys. Uh, yeah, there's a, a bunch of Aussies that, that head over there, and um, and as you mentioned earlier, Japan just it's it's the place to run for the you know for the elite sub elite guys. It can be the the spot to go for that marathon. And this um and Lake Biwa it comes up a lot on on um you know in, in articles and on podcasts about where people run PBs and it's an elite only race known for its depth field depth. Um, ideal temperature, fast course, so professional. I've run it a couple of times. Um, you know the way the the hospitality they extend over there. Just everything's taken out. Uh, the guesswork's taken out for you. You can just get there and get to the line. And and obviously with J- the Japan and you know coming over from Australia, it's pretty easier to do. Your, I mean that that race just was unbelievable for you. There's a tweet here that I'm going to quote from you. I think you posted it at 5.41. I reckon on, on the day your phone was probably blowing up because they start the race about 12.30 there. So you're probably, um, yeah, just <laughs> responding to all your messages and relaxing. And it just says 2.17.08, World Champs qualifier, three-minute PV, worst week of my life leading in, can't believe it, cried the last 400 metres. So <laughs> pretty intense, uh, you know, and geez, a tweet went went bananas. But I mean, that that part in there that that strings out to me is like, uh, what's this this worst week of your life leading in as well, going into you know a big marathon? Do you, are you comfortable yeah. sharing that? Yeah, yeah, I am, mate. And um, I'm just I'm still stoked with um, you know how I ran given the, the circumstances. So leading into that race, um, things had been going perfect. I'd done the biggest block of training of my life. Uh, prior and then my ex-girlfriend of about three and a half years kind of suddenly broke up with me a couple of days before I flew out and um, that, that that hit me very hard and um, yeah I honestly didn't think about the race too much leading up like that was all I could kind of think about and then on top of on top of that I picked up a niggle race week and um, the Monday through to the Thursday, I could barely run. And um, I don't know, you know, I thought, God, I've just overdone it here. Like I've 
just overcooked it. This this sucks. And I managed to, um, you know, kind of loosen whatever that was up on the Friday, Saturday to the point where I thought, okay, this might be okay here. And um, luckily enough, it was. But, um, yeah, so I went from the being in Japan and having just pretty much every minute to myself to think about mm-hmm. everything that had been happening, which was a pretty negative environment yeah. at that time and then i just remember race day like the sw- the switch just flicked and um mm. and i was just in the zone again and didn't think about any of that stuff and you know i knew at 30k that i was on and i was going to do it i could just tell um and so i was kind of powered through to 40k and then you know it got pretty emotional the last um last 2k and in particular once i got onto the track there because um realistically i i knew what other australians were capable of and i knew the plans of like some of the top guys like liam and michael shelley and so i knew what it meant i knew that this was you know 90 percent that i'm going to be on an australian team here and so yeah things got pretty um pretty emotional and i spent the last lap full of running but just Mm. crying yeah, wow. Yeah, so a real release. I mean, that that whole uh, phenomenal week because taper weeks are hard as it is. Like, yeah, you, you, yeah. You're, you're pulling back. You're you're really at heightened nerves, and you know you're trying to watch what you eat, and you're trying to just get yourself right. Every you know, wrapping yourself in bubble wrap, trying to <laughs> every little thing that you think, oh, I hope this isn't a, you know an injury or something, and then yeah. That happens on top of it. Then you're flying out on a plane, going over, you know, getting away from it all. Like, it's just, that's intense. And then to be able to pull that out, a lot of people could have gone the other way. You could have got to, you know, got in 20K and things start to hurt or 30K and you just pull the pin. Like, it's it's amazing what you were able to do. And I think that's a fair bit about running is sometimes you can just get into a race or a session and disassociate from what's going on outside of you your life yeah. and, and like you said get into the zone yeah absolutely and um yeah I, and another thing there was as i mentioned earlier i hadn't tried that short and taper for a serious race before <laughs> and so i've picked up this niggle and i'm thinking ah oh, here we go what are people going to think about this when i'm injured and um luckily enough the taper worked and um finally felt good on race day did you feel like people were judging your training because you hadn't completely broken through given what was probably being seen out there it's like this guy's pumping sessions and he's doing the hour of power and then you just were doing well don't get me wrong but you just hadn't nailed it there was there a little bit of like i've got to prove people wrong as well oh massively yeah like every no not every session like but i'd always think oh god like what's this, what's this gonna look like if i kind of blow up or you know and then um I got to the point where I was pretty content in my training and and I I did a lot more of my longer tempos and stuff like that in, in fourth gear, whereas in the early days, more like 2015 and early 2016, I probably went into some of those sessions feeling like I had something to prove and trying mm. to put down impressive numbers. But after the Rotterdam race, I kind of kind of got rid of that and I was really able to just focus on myself even though I know I was still being watched and judged but Mm. I was able to really kind of just have that level of control in my training and um you know that that paid off in BYU and it was paying off 
uh, in the World Champs lead up as well, where I was running PBs. Yeah, it takes mature. It takes time to get to that level where you yeah. don't really, you know. And at the end of the day, like their sessions, and if you don't get them right, like it's fine. And I think yeah. in this comparison culture where everyone's checking out everyone's what they've done, and it, it's easy to get caught up. And I think it's good advice for people just to be able to relax and not get too caught up on numbers and just do your thing and let it come out. And it came off yeah. for you. Yeah, absolutely. Massive run. So that got yeah. you the Aussie England in the end? Yeah, After, it did. And, um, what, yeah. F- four cracks? Three? Uh, yeah, we cleared Rotterdam. Uh, so I had a crack, a proper crack at Fukuoka, Rotterdam, Berlin and BUR. So yeah, fourth. Um, fourth time lucky. <laughs> fourth time lucky. I nailed it, yeah. Yeah, oh, it must have been just huge. As someone who is a student of the sport, grown up, um, you know, going through all these meets you know, as a junior and then seeing... You know, I guess having idols that have gone to world champs, Olympics, and getting that Aussie singlet, like it must have meant so much to you getting it. Yeah, I remember because I, I had to come back for for work. Not that I worked that much, but I, I wasn't in Japan for a holiday. I remember the next day just being on the train, and my head was just racing so positively, uh, like reflecting back on you know how proud my coach would have been that you know like we did it kind of thing and um I look I look back on it now and 12 months later 12 people hit the time for the Commonwealth Games so it was yeah. basically just my um my ability to just be that step ahead of the of the curve that um you know I was able to get that opportunity um that you know it would be a lot harder these days running the time that I did yeah, and I, I mean, I, I think we sort of touched on it earlier, but I, I really believe you unlocked that belief system for runners that had been, you know, in that fringe. There was a lot of athletes that were running around the 30-minute mark, sub-30, 220s, but they couldn't quite get that single. They couldn't quite get down to the 217, 216, 214. And, yeah, you pushed others to look into that um, other traditional system and gave them the belief, like, and... Yeah, it's not you. I'm not going to say you've done it single-handedly, but you've had a massive impact, I think, on the sport and marathoning and what's happened in Australia, particularly in that range of those guys moving down into those into that level. Yeah, thanks, thanks, mate. I, I appreciate appreciate the words, and um, you know, I, I still hope that um, those guys, even though you know we've got a, probably a bit more depth now, I still hope that those guys are striving to to do their best because i know uh you know world champs slash com games are looking like they're going to be in the same um same month so you know you marathon guys there might be that spot for a singlet again coming up in 2022 so keep striving hard and um you know could do it again absolutely yeah no it's a it's a it's a good spot for um, Australian running at the moment. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Better With Running podcast. We're just going to pause part one of the interview with Josh Harris there. And uh, yeah, you'll stay tuned next week. We're going to release the second part. There's some some really interesting things that happen on his journey as he heads to the world championships. So yeah, definitely um, worth hanging around for the part two of that, that episode. 
But yeah, thanks again for listening to this week's episode. There's a few things going on at Run to PB at the moment with an online event that is happening on uh, YouTube and Facebook live this Thursday night. We've got some special guests coming on talking about training your mind and the mental side of running. So that's featuring one of the uh, couple of the Run to PB coaches, Madeline Heiner, Josh Harris, who we just listened to. Uh, Steph Austin and also Stu McClay, which is a, is a run to BB athlete. And they're going to be talking about the mental side of running, a live Q&A. So that'll be really interesting. And uh, yeah, definitely pop along to that. But, um, for now, I'll let you get back to finishing that run.